Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 163, and we're going to be interviewing Kelly G. How are you doing, Kelly? Hi, very well, thanks. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I'm excited to do this. What about you? Excited? Excited. Nervous. Anxious. All right, good. It's good to be excited. And like I said before, sometimes it's good to be anxious and nervous. It means you care, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get started here. It's nice and easy. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Start from the beginning. Uh, my childhood. Um, I think I was born. I, I, no, I was born. I was born in Brooklyn a um, long time ago, 54 years ago, 1968. And then as a young, as a young child, we moved to Long Island, typical Brooklyn at the time. Um my parents were, you know, to get the, my parents were together. I had an, I, I have an older sibling, um, but we are Irish, of Irish descent. Well, from, you know, we're here a million years, but um, typical Irish family where every holiday involved alcohol. It was, it was the norm. I didn't know any better. Um, I, it was just what we did. We were always every holiday, Easter, Thanksgiving. There was always like a special holiday for. Uh, a special cocktail, rather, for each holiday. Like Thanksgiving would be pink lemonade, daiquiris kind of thing. And and one of my earliest memories of moving to our home in Long Island was my parents having a party that lasted like three days long. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, you know, I, I think back now how incredibly irresponsible that was that I was such a, we were young children and they must have been just partying around the clock and nobody, you know, um, I don't, I can't even recall who was watching us. I remember some, you know, like some of the friends, my parents' friends giving us money, like, oh, here's $5, which in, you know, those days was like a million dollars as far as we were concerned. Um, but, um, you know, again, my parents, um, not educated. My, my mother has a high school, had a high school diploma. She was a secretary in um, a middle school in Long Island. My father, um, I would say looking back, was probably learning disabled, dyslexic maybe, um, because he he is not a high school, he did not graduate high school, but he was a very hard worker and he worked for sanitation. Then he was injured. And then he, um, do after that. Oh, then he was, um, uh, he had a trucking company, a leasing company that he, he, but it was not, I don't think it, it wasn't on the road, um, over the road rather. And again, I grew up, you know, my, like typical middle class, except I do know, and I, I, I was pretty much aware of it at the time too, that my family drank more than others. I, I, you know, like I had friends from other um, cultures. I don't know if that's the correct word. I mean, and, like we, I also grew up, grew up in a pretty white neighborhood. It was, there was no diversity except for you were either Italian, Irish, or, or Jewish, maybe. Nothing, there was no other difference at the, at the, um, at the time. But I was very aware of that. Um, so what do, I, what do you want now? Is that enough? No, keep going. Keep going. Oh. Um, <clears throat> do you want like my history of when I started drinking or? Well, keep going through childhood. So, how, okay, let me ask you this. How, how was your school life? My school life was, um, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about, uh, I had another meeting uh, this afternoon at, at work and I'm, I'm, we're having some trainings about diversity training, actually, diversity um, and inclusion. And, you know, I never felt secure. Um as a kid, I don't think, I don't, I always was very insecure, I think, about my looks, about uh, my family, about, you know, I, I have freckles, and, you know, I just had a million insecurities, you know, I, 
I was probably anorexic. In fact, I know it was anorexic. I never, I barely ate. And, um, and in high school, you know, I was a decent student. I could have been um, a lot. I should have been a lot better because I'm, I'm quite bright and, in, in, and in, um, intellectual, intelligent, whatever. Um, I'm being very intellectual now. Um, but, um, sorry. Um, but, you know, I didn't have a real, like I said, I never really felt that I fit in. One thing I should probably say, my, my older brother, who is three or two and a half years older than I am, he, um, he had a stutter, which back in the 70s, this is, I think, really like the root of a lot of um, my family issues came from is my brother's stutter. And back then, I work in education now, I've been working in education for 20 something years, but back then they did not define it as any kind of a disorder. They basically said, you're a shitty parent and that's why he stutters. So that's what was told to my mother. Instead of going to a speech therapist or something along those lines, they sent her to a therapist and the therapist had told her, yeah, you're a shitty mom, you know, you're a bad mother and that's why he stutters, which is, again, looking back is just horrific, you know, and I, and I can remember a big joke in my family, joke, quote unquote, where my father, everything my brother would stutter, you know, we're also a very twisted sense of humor. We, you know, um, we don't hold back anything. Nothing is, nothing is sacred, basically. And if my brother would stutter, my father would say, oh, you don't stutter anymore. I paid $10,000 to have that fixed. And we didn't have any money, you know. So I remember that. And again, he went to the psychologist who said my mother was a bad mother. And I think that just, you know, shut her down. You know, my mom was... Um, her dad died when she was seven. Her mom died the day after she turned 20. So like her sister raised her. She got married, right? She eloped with my dad. Um, and, you know, my father um, was, you know, definitely alcohol an alcoholic back in those days. But um, I think right that moment when they told her that is when everything in our lives changed. At that point, my mother just, um, I guess the guilt she felt and, you know, um, you know, I agreeably so, because that's what you're being told. And again, she's not, she's not an educator. She never went to college. Um, and that was kind of the theory back then. So that I think really changed a lot in our lives because then everything, from that moment on, everything became about my brother. You know, I mean, everything, it was just about my brother, about my brother, about my brother. And, you know, a, a lot of time, a lot of things I can understand. He was bullied, you know, he was picked on, made fun of. Um, and I can remember being, you know, um, young adults, I guess, you know, probably like 18, 19. And I was dating one of his friends and he was dating one of my friends. And I remember we'd be hanging out and um, probably doing, I think actually we're doing Coke at the time, if I'm going to be brutally honest here, I can remember him trying to speak and his stutter was it, it, the pain I felt watching it because, you know, you, you can't correct it. You can't do anything. And he was really embarrassed by it didn't stop him from talking, but I mean, which is a good thing. Um, but at the time he was, the industry he was in, he was working in commodities in downtown Wall Street, New York. And, you know, he never really was able to um, go any higher because of his, because of the, the speech impediments, because you'd have to buy, buy, sell, whatever, you know, whatever they're doing, screaming all day. He just wasn't going to be capable of that. Um, and then everything went to shit and the quantities all crashed anyway, and they sold all the seats and, you know, everything went electronic. But um, so I remember, I can remember a lot of things like my mother would do for my brother and things and my, you know, as I got older in my, like, you know, in my 
Um, I got married young. I got married. I got pregnant at 20 and got married. Um, and, you know, I, I married a good guy. So I thought at the time. But I can remember, you know, I went back to work when my, my younger son was two. And, you know, and I, I got promoted. I went, I, I took, you know, I moved jobs a couple of times and I would get promoted each time to a bigger position, more money. Oh, you're stopping me? Yeah, hold on one second. I was going to ask you. Okay. So going back a little bit to high school, so you said a lot of what you're growing up, you remember being about your brother? Yeah. So besides that, how was your high school experience? At what age, because you, you mentioned doing cocaine, what age did you first use anything at all? Um, I think I, I mean, cigarettes, I started probably young, way too young. And again, both of my parents were smokers, so it was easy for me. What's way too young? How old do you think? Probably in my world, it was way too young, 14, 15. And I know Murray's much younger, but for me, that was really young. And I still smoke, unfortunately, today. Um, I think my brother was a big, big pot smoker. And again, a lot of these things as an an adult and being in recovery, I... I can make sense of a lot of this a lot more, but my brother was a big pot smoker. So when the did, cigarette, the marijuana, did, the, did the marijuana help the stuttering? Um, I really can't say for sure because I don't, I don't know. Maybe, or I think it's, you know, my brother also fell in with the crowd of like, I guess you would say kind of misfits, you know, um, they're the ones that smoke, but, but you know what? They weren't misfits in a terrible way, but they weren't, you know, jocks and they weren't scholars, you know, and they were a great bunch of, um, of guys. So it really worked, you know, for him, but, um, and this was the pot smoking crowd, but you know what? They accepted him stuttering everything. And that, I guess, was the most important factor, you know, and I think he's probably, I know he's still friends with one of them still really close, but, um, but yeah, so when I started smoking, it was easy because my parents smoked, so I would just steal their cigarettes. And, you know, I guess I don't know why I started because I thought it was cool, maybe, or because I had cigarettes. And, you know, maybe actually I, when I think about it more, I think it's because I could get cigarettes and I was like, oh, I have cigarettes. Do you want to smoke cigarettes? You know, maybe I know I was always seeking attention looking back now. I was always seeking attention, not necessarily like negative attention, like a negative is better than uh, no attention any attention is better than no attention it wasn't like that it was just I had maybe because of like I said how my brother um my brother was not I don't want to say favored but he was he was favored by my mother you know absolutely um and maybe because of that that's why I was constantly seeking attention and like you know why I'm trying to fit in somewhere and you know um and I didn't always fit in. I never felt, I still today don't feel, you know, um, comfortable in my own skin. But I think when I probably smoked, first smoked pot, I, I know I smoked pot in eighth grade once or twice. And it wasn't, I think we got like, someone sold us like oregano and we thought we smoked pot. You know, we were like, mm. and, um, and of course my father caught us because my father happened to be home one morning. He hadn't gone to work yet. And I remember um, we went to the park under the bridge and a, car pulls up and it was my father of all people and my father was a big guy big scary dude he was a, a pussycat but he was a big scary dude and then that was it so I don't you know punish for the rest of my life whatever I just got smoking cigarette I was young you know too young for this shit finally knew um and then you know 
again, I don't, I really didn't smoke it that young. And I think I was like in maybe 10th grade, 11th grade, the one people I was friendly with, the one girl I was friendly with close to my best friend at the time was a heavy pot smoker. And so is our little group. So I smoked it, you know, I didn't, I, I never liked it. I didn't like how it made me feel. Not, I mean, listen, I'm a great alcoholic all day long, but um, drugs, I just never really, never really made me feel, pot always made me feel weird. Like, what do I do with my arms? I have white eyes. They were always like bright red. And I, you know, I didn't, I never enjoyed that high. It just wasn't for me. Um, and so I, I think about my, my little pot smoking career was done by like, you know, before I was a senior in high, in high school, I just didn't care for it. But that's when I probably started drinking alcohol, you know, regularly. Um, more? Yeah, continue. And if you have more, keep going. There's um, no limit here. I, no, I don't normally talk about my childhood, even in therapy. I know, well, a little bit. Um, but I guess that's, you know, what started my drinking and my drinking... You know, right from the get-go, first time I drank, I got shit-faced, drunk, throwing. I got caught, too. I was never very good at anything. I was, you know, not not a good liar, not very good at hiding things, you know. Um, always got in trouble, always got caught. Um, but How old were you the first time you started drinking? I'd say ninth grade, however you are, old you are in ninth grade. 14. 14 usually 14, right? Something like that, Yeah. <laughs> excuse me um so i forgot what i was saying oh so the first time i i was drinking it was when i drank a couple yeah once or twice at that age but it wasn't a regular thing until probably like 11th grade maybe 11th grade 12th grade 12th grade absolutely um and again my one friend that i was really close to was not a great student um so she cut class all the time and me the perpetual follower you know wanting to be um wanting to be loved and liked, you know, I, I would cut class with her. And I knew what, you know, and I, again, I was always aware of what I was doing was wrong. And I was a good student, you know, and I, I knew, but then it would get to the point where you'd be cut so many times, you're so freaking uh, far behind and, and that you just, it all blows up. And then you're like, you know, then you're fucked basically. Am I allowed to curse? Sorry. Yeah, you're good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I guess that's. I mean, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be going with all this. I'm yeah, sorry. no. So, um, no, I just want to know like, the first time you used. Obviously, you answered oh. that it was around ninth grade, sure drinking. So, and you said an eleventh and twelfth is when it got more heavy. Well, I um, probably twelfth grade. It was more regular. I mean, I didn't. I never drank during the week or anything. I mean, but you know, I was a beer drinker back then, which makes me laugh now because I've hated beer, you know, my entire adult life. Um, and I'm not a cocktail drinker either. Mostly, I'm a wino. Very good wine, though, but very expensive taste, mind you, when I can't afford it. Um, but, yeah, we would check on the weekends, and, you know, it was funny. Like, they would have those little tiny Budweiser's. We used to call them quickies. Um, the little ones, like, I don't know what that's, they still make them. And, like, we would be going out on a Friday night with our friends, guys that were older than us and, you know, had cars and whatever. And we'd all go, we'd go in the little store. It was like a place, like in a, not, not a, a, an outskirts neighborhood, like almost near the city. And they would um, sell us these little beers and we would drink them all, you know. And typical, when I, I was thinking about that, or I'm trying to think of what I was going to talk about today. And that was one of the things I was thinking about. My memory isn't great because of all the trauma I've, I've suffered and I'm, it's really a problem, but things are starting to come back the longer I'm in recovery and the, the more I'm working through therapy. Um, but I remember even then, I always drank until it was gone. 
you know, like the, the, the silly things like when Martha Stewart make ice cubes with your leftover wine, like leftover wine, fucking kidding me. Like, well, where, why would you have leftover wine? You know, I, you know, I mean, it was just, it just never, it was, I always drank alcoholically. It was always a binge, you know, binge for me. It was never just have a glass of wine with dinner. You know, maybe when my kids were very little, possibly, but for the most part, you know, when I got pregnant, I was, you know, drinking heavy, really heavy. Um, I was, you know, really kind of floundering. I was like, kind of going to college and community college part-time working whatever random, you know, shit job I could get for a little extra money, you know, and that money was for drinking and partying, you know, and I had like big aspirations and I would talk a big game about, Oh, I'm going to go to, cause I, my major was computer science at the time. And, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't, I was not, I was there. I was probably hungover every time I went to class, you know, and it was local. It was driving from home. It wasn't, you know, and like looking back, I had zero ambition, zero, just, you know, I mean, I had, big ideas and ambition, but I wasn't following through on anything. And my ex-husband, who we were, I was with at the time, you know, same thing. He, you know, he was working at a Chinese restaurant. When I, we got, when I got pregnant, we got married. My father got him a really good job where he ended up with the rest of his career. But, um, all right, now what? I, I feel like I'm <laughs> going, I don't know where I'm going. No, you're doing fine. So, you said once you graduated, you went into college for a little bit? Very briefly, yeah. Right at the right at the high school, I went to college. But, you know, I never took SATs. I never, it was, I never even considered that I would go away to college. I just, it just was never something I thought about. We weren't educated people, you know? Um, and, I mean, you know, in my parents' defense, I was, I was a, you know, a little bit. I mean, I wasn't terrible. Like my brother was a fucking handful. I was just, I was a pain in the ass. You know, like I said, I, my problem was being truant and it was more just because it was my, because I was hanging out with my friend and like, we would do nothing. You know, I mean, we would drive around, we would go to the beach, we would go, you know, it was never any reason. Or we would like be truant in the morning because she would come to my house and then she would like sleep in the next room, you know, in the bedroom, wherever, whatever, the couch or whatever. And we would sleep for a couple of hours, then go to school late. You know, it was never anything exciting. But, you know, again, looking back, she was not a very good student. Um, She would, you know, even when she would try, she would fail, you know, horribly fail, you know. So, um, so yeah, that was, I forgot. Oh, and the Coke, I did Coke, again, very shortly. I mean, and the only reason I would do Coke is so I could drink more. It was, that's not a high I like the feeling of. I don't like that buzzy feeling. And I would smoke way too many cigarettes when I would do it. And then I would have a sore throat and I'd feel miserable from it for days and days. But the only reason I I did it was so I could sober up a little bit and drink more. For me, it's always been about drinking more. Um, And again, by the time I was, you know, like 20, I was pregnant, got married, had a baby. Um, Were you able to quit drinking and everything for the pregnancy? Absolutely, yeah. Back then, um, I probably was... I probably, I don't, looking back, I know it was alcoholic drinking or, you know, um, sub, what do they call that? Substance abuse, something, I don't know. But um, I wasn't an alcoholic yet, I don't think, because, you know, I could not drink. I could, you know, I would not drink all week, but I don't think there was very many weekends I didn't drink. But um, when I got pregnant, it was no problem. I just didn't drink, you know, it was fine. And I didn't, and then I nursed my children for a really long time, so I didn't drink then after it wasn't until after my kids were a little older that I started really drinking heavy. You know, my, I can remember my son was 13, 13, around 13, maybe 14. And, um, 
you know, he was just starting with the smoking pot and cigarettes. And it was, you know, it was, my son was one of those go big or go home, you know, like he just, he would go from zero to a hundred with getting, you know, getting in trouble. Um, but the nicest kids you'll ever meet in your life. So he, I remember back early on that I, you know, I knew I was drinking too much, but I didn't really, still didn't think it was problematic, you know? Um, my house was clean. I was holding a great job. I took good care of my children. I said, you know, I didn't, and I've always struggled at the time, you know, my whole life until very recently with, I didn't understand how my drinking affected other people, you know, which is ridiculous because I came from an alcoholic home, you know? And, um, I remember one night my son said, you know, you better not drink tonight. Cause I think I made him, we had a deal, whatever. He would stop smoking pot now, whatever it was. And of course I drank, you know, I mean, I, I didn't drink a bottle of wine. Like it became years later, but like I had a couple of glasses of red wine and he came home and I hid it, you know, under behind the couch, whatever. My husband was like, you don't have to fucking do that. He's little, he, we don't answer to him, blah, 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 which was also a red flag with my husband. And I remember my son asking my, my younger son, who they're six years apart. So he was like seven or eight at the time. Did mommy drink tonight? Did you see her having any wine? And that should have been stopped me in my tracks, you know? that my 13-year-old son was genuinely bothered by my drinking. Um, I can just shut this down now. But um, it didn't. You know? It didn't at that point either. It was, um, it just was like I said, it was, it was more to me, it was a nuisance that he was giving me shit for it, you know, when he was just starting his journey with his, you know, his fateful journey, unfortunately. Um, now what? What do you want now? Keep going? Yeah, like I said, like, you just keep going. If, you know, just tell your story. Um, so, at what point for you? Let me ask you this: Did you say you think you had a problem? Um, I think I knew it was becoming problematic. When, I, I, yeah, it wasn't alcohol. I was not an alcoholic. Maybe, maybe I've always been an alcoholic. I'm not really sure how they how they diagnose when you're an alcoholic. Are you born with it? You know, there's a million different theories. But I know when my kids were probably, Daniel was a little older, it's probably like maybe like 10 and 16, maybe. And I was up at a friend, my best friend's house. And we, I spent the weekend there and I came, I was coming home, you know, after lunch that day and we had a glass of red wine with lunch. And when I, um, I, I had to leave, you know, shortly thereafter. And all I can remember is thinking, I want another glass of wine. I mean, I really fucking want another glass of wine. Desperately, I want a glass of wine, you know, another one. And of course, I didn't because I had to drive, you know, two and a half, an hour, two and a half hours to get home. And then I remember the guy I was seeing, yeah, he must have been a little older, 13, maybe. I can't remember. 12, Daniel was my little one. Um, and the guy I was seeing at the time, and I remember like talking to him, like, you know, we were kind of like just starting to date. And I was like, I think I have a problem, whatever. And he was like, no, 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 it's no big deal. Like, I wanted to have another glass of wine. And my friends did the same thing at the time, you know. Two people that gave me more shit than anybody later on about my, my drinking. But, um, and then the shit got really bad. Well, my father also throughout this, my father had a massive stroke when he was 49. And my, 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 old, my oldest son was just about two, maybe not even two. Um, when it, maybe he would, yeah, it was just about, it's almost two, I think, maybe. I don't remember how old he was, but he was young. Maybe he just turned one, maybe. Um, and and my father was, a, uh, you know, the old expression, like he was built like a brick shit house. He was a big dude. He was, you know, man, 
man and you know he was but he was a big pussy guy he was wonderful and the stroke just like fucking floored him floored it that was it i mean he went from you know a, a viral strong man you know to like basically an old man like overnight you know he was paralyzed on his left side and he was okay for a first year a couple of years but it just he just got progressively sicker like a couple of years after the stroke a few years he started having um really bad seizures um, which was a whole other nightmare of, you know, getting, having to deal with that because, you know, I was still home. I was home with my young, I was still living at the house. My parents, uh, dormered the home when I had my kids, when I had my, my older one. And, um, you know, we built us a beautiful apartment. We paid everything. We were never taken from anyone. That's not who I am. Um, but, uh, so that became like, I was still home with my younger son was still, you know, a baby. So I had to take, I helped take care of him and I didn't wasn't like a terrible thing, but, you know, I, I did whatever I could to help, you know, because it was my dad and I didn't want, and it was, it was difficult, but I was young. I didn't feel the stress of it or, you know, how I would have later on. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. I don't know. Oh, so anyway, this is all this. And then my father ended up, you know, a million different things over the years. Then he had pancreatic cancer, which, you know, they gave him three months to live. I think he lived almost five years, five miserable, horrible years that, we were, we're almost sorry. We we had you know they did a surgeon. They did a surgeon. They did a, a dissection. There's a Whipple pancreatic cancer, and there's a dissection resection. And that's the one my father did, and it was like, what's supposed to be seven hours of surgery ended up being like ten or eleven. That there was just a, the tumor was wrapped around his insides, and then he had a carotid artery. Just a million different things. And the last couple of years of his life were just misery absolute and he was so sick it was zero quality of life and during this time this is when my older son Kenny had started developing a drug problem and my marriage was going to shit you know it was like everything was just I had this great great life um I guess I was 2008 I guess I was just about I was just about 40 and um that that period like in my late 30s to 40 um, my, my son was really starting with the drugs, you know, and, um, then I found out he had a Coke problem and, you know, it just, it just kept coming. You know, he had a Coke problem. He had a, a smoke in the pot drinking. Never much of a, not one a heavy drinker, but he drank, um, and he drank excessively and he would always get sick, you know, and he would be, you know, he was in, I finally, I had to put a pins petition on him. You know what that is? Person in need of supervision? No. I basically had to take my son to court to get him into treatment because you cannot, you have to, treatment is voluntary, you know, unless it's um, by the courts really. But, you know, as a, as a human being, as a person, an adolescent, I could not make him go to, to rehab. So I had to take him to court mm-hmm. and they were going to put him in some shitty state program, you know, that he was going to be miserable in and they, it was not going to be a nice place. And finally at the last minute, I, I was able to convince him, Hey, you know, look, I'm going to let you go to date treatment. You'll go there every day. You'll get your schoolwork done. You'll still graduate with your high school, you know, your high school degree, you know, the same school that you go to. Um, and, you know, you get your act together and and whatever. And that's what he did. So finally he did that. Where was I going with? Oh, that then, or right before that, when that's when shit was really hitting with him, he was like not going to school and um, he was failing everything. And, you know, and every, I get, again, looking back, if I'd known what I know now, um, how I would have done things different. And I, and I did, I did everything I could think of to help that kid, um, except, except not stopping drinking. 
um, which is, you know, when I, uh, I also, it was also a moment when my, my kids were, yeah, my little one was about two or three when my parents were married 35 years and I threw them this big, huge anniversary party, which, you know, was really nice to do. I paid for it myself. My brother, of course, gave me his random $150, whatever crap he could give me at the time. And, um, it was an open bar. So much alcohol was, was drank that evening that they had to go out and get like more beer and like more vodka. You know, it was a crazy, I mean, they drank these people, they're drinkers, you know, we're with my family are drinkers and their friends are drinkers. And I mean, it was insane how much alcohol they, they consumed. And after the party, we went back to all them back to my mom's house. And um, my father fell because he fell not that off, but he fell off because he was paralyzed. But when he was drinking, forget it, he was just, you know, nothing like a jellyfish. Um, and his friends were trying to get him up and they were falling. It was just a fucking shit show. And it was like at a really nice restaurant. And I really wanted it to be a, a, a really different type of event. I didn't want that. To, I didn't want that to happen, you know. And even if I did it, even if I had a, a cash bar, it would have still happened. These people, you know, money is the object. It's about the alcohol and, you know, whatever. And I remember thinking, I saying to my mom, this, I was upset. I was devastated. And I'm like, you know, this is not what I want. This is supposed to be different. And my mother just said to me, you know, I don't understand because this is who we are. And I remember thinking, this is who you are. This is not who I am. And I, it was like an epiphany when I knew this is fucked up. This is not how people live their lives. It can be different. And yet I didn't stop drinking. I did nothing. You know what I mean? That's when I, the awareness came. And I, at that point, I'm like, well, I drink, but I don't have a problem. You know what I mean? I, I was not, again, I wasn't that heavy into it. But then after, when I got separated from my husband, I, I bought a two-family house with my parents because we sold the house and I bought a two-family house. My, my father was really, really sick at the end and my mom needed help. She just couldn't do it alone. And I was really struggling. I was finally getting away from the fucking miserable marriage where I would find he was just shit faced drunk and he would start fights with my older son. It was a mess. Uh, all that I caught him selling Coke once, my husband. It was just, things were not always good, you know? Um, even when when I turned, like I said, when I moved to the new house with my, my parents and my kids, you know, my, my, my oldest son was staying with my mother-in-law, his grandmother. And I thought everything was going to be so different and great. But, you know, at the, again, back to that moment so many years earlier, I knew that this was not the life I wanted for my kids and for myself. And yet I did nothing about it. You know, I did. I mean, I knew I gave my husband plenty of shit for drinking. Um, but again, I wasn't as bad then. But once I moved in with my parents and my son was at this point, you know, drug addict, whatever, not a drug addict, but he was seriously abusing drugs bad. And my father was dying and my husband was a drunken fucking asshole. And I just, that's when I really started drinking and living with my mom. My mom is an alcoholic. She died of cirrhosis. Big shock there. Right. Irish family. And um, so I was drinking with my mom, you know, every night and, you know, it was just, it's just fucked up. Everything was so fucked up. And then I get a call January 8th. My son was 20. You know, we things had gotten much better. He, you know, graduated, he was working, um, he was doing really well. I mean, he was still smoking pot, which, you know, I gave him shit for, and I wouldn't let him smoke it at my house. And if I, you know, once I found it in his coat at my house, I was, I was going to throw it out. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not going to, he doesn't live here. He's not going to smoke it here, whatever. And I didn't. Um, and then 
he was doing well. He got a job working full time, you know, and he loved it because he, you know, he, like he was working in sales and, you know, every drug addict can work in sales because, you know, they know how to get what they want. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You understand. Sales. Yep. And um, he, he was, we would do, we got very close over that summer and he had a girlfriend that I loved and loved until about a year ago, actually. Um, and, you know, we did a lot, we had a great little life. They were coming over, we were cooking, they were, you know, they were staying with me more often than they weren't. And, um, and then everything just went to shit. Like everything was great. I had like the best from 2008 till the end of thousand, you know, to 2009, Jan- early 2010, early January, things were so good. I was dating a nice guy. My job was great. I was making great money. I was selling, I was exceeding, you know, I was getting promoted. I loved what I did. I was, I was in a, just in a really good place. I had broken up with the boyfriend again, that was back and forth, that idiot, um, for a long time. And, um, and then January, we, there was a big blizzard the week before oh, we went to Atlantic city. I took the kids to Atlantic city, um over the christmas break and i guess they must have gambled but you know they weren't 21 i know that he he died when he was 20 but i guess they gambled a little and you know mostly they wanted to go to the restaurants and you know see a show and have a couple cocktails and just do their thing and you know interesting enough i didn't care if they drank you know because again to me it was normal you know if you're having a couple of drinks you're not going to hurt anybody um you're looking down like making see i'm very insecure you're looking down like oh what's that um but, uh, and then we would get in the car to go home in the morning from Atlantic city and he reeked of the alcohol. I'm like, Oh, Kenny, seriously. And then he was something like, ah, you know, I lost fucking money or around. He's like, you know, I'm going to admit it. Oh, that was another thing. Wow. I can make memories. will keep popping in. I'll talk, I'll talk for the rest of my life here. But, um, Apparently someone, he tried to get, someone tried to sell him Coke and they took his money and, you know, some stupid, you know, my mother, and my mother would always say, you know, nothing good ever happens after, after 1am, getting her 2am. Yep, absolutely. It's a, it's a fact. We all know this, you know, and then, but we still had a great trip in spite of that. And he was nodding. I had, um, I had taken, I had a prescription for Xanax and I, I rarely took them anymore because things, you know, I didn't, I did not abuse them. Clearly I barely took them and we were getting. I, and I took one one day and I was like, wow, I could have sworn I had a lot more in here. And I just didn't think about it again because he was doing well, my son, you know, and my son, my other one was still little. He was like about 13, 14 at that time, about, I think he was just, he was 13. And um, we were leaving to go to Atlantic City and my mom was like, she didn't like being in the car dry. You know, she was very nervous, very nervous, just a nervous wreck, my mom in general. And um, she she said, you know, can I, can I have one of those Xanax? Cause I hate it when you're driving and the kids make me nervous. And, you know, I just don't want to like start the trip in a bed. And I'm like, of course, whatever. So I go upstairs, I get the, the prescription. There's two left in the bottle, three left maybe. And I'm like, okay, I know I haven't taken one in forever. And there was like, you know, there was still at least half a prescription there, even though I, and so I was really upset then I'm thinking my fucking kid, he's so good, whatever. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to start shit because he, when he got defensive, it was, you know, oh, you're fucking wrong. Or, you know, I just wasn't in the mood to fight with him. And um, so when we were in Atlantic City, I told, I said something to his girlfriend. I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want to make a big deal with Kenny, but, you know, did he take any of my Xanax? And she said, no, no. I said, are you sure? She's like, listen, I would totally know. No fucking way. Uh-uh. He's not, he's not doing that anymore. I promise you. 
So I was like, all right, whatever. And, and then eventually he said to me, maybe it's Daniel, my little son. And I'm like, really? And he was just a little baby at that point. And he was a very, very immature, my old, my younger son. As mature as my older one was, he was as immature. And um, a couple hours later, we go for dinner and I could, and we're sitting at dinner and I didn't even know what nodding meant at that time, really. But he was like, uh, he was nodding at dinner. You know, I remember, I'm like, Kenny, what's, what's wrong with you? So, you know, but I didn't realize that he was on, on heroin, you know, using heroin, high from, I don't know what the fuck you call it, whatever, that he was high, fucked up. And um, whatever, after that, he comes to, we go back upstairs, maybe before dinner, I don't remember the timeline. Um, he came to me and he said, mom, listen, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let Daniel get in trouble for something I did. He's like, I took your sentence. He's like, I'm a drug addict. You know that, you know, I, if it's in front of me, I'm going to take it, but I'm not going to, you know, and I was just really proud that he admitted it. And, you know, I mean, that he did. He had a problem with drugs. He couldn't do, again, like, like me, I can't have a glass of wine. It's whatever Kenny did, he did big. You know, if he had beer, he drank a case of beer. If he had potty, he would smoke, you know, he was just excessive. And um, so then a week later, there was a big blizzard, whatever. They were at the house. And um, and then um, we had plans to do something on Saturday, July, uh, January 8th. I don't I can't remember now. Maybe we're going to go to the city, whatever it was. And my son calls me at work thir- uh, Thursday, Thursday afternoon. And I'm like, I was like annoyed because I'm busy. He knows this, you know. And he's like, mom, you know, how much money should I, do I need? Cause I, I get paid tomorrow and I want to just make sure I have enough money for Saturday. I'm like, honey, whatever, just, you, you know, I have, you know, I'm going to take care of it. Whatever you want to spend, you know, for you guys, whatever crap you're going to buy, then just keep for that. I'll pay for everything else. And I, I kind of like rushed. I was annoyed, genuinely annoyed. And I think I had to have like a gynecological procedure, you know, s- simple one that afternoon. And, um, yeah, and I, I wasn't well after work, so I think I went to sleep early. And then, like, my mom, he's going to borrow my mom's car. And I don't know, it was a whole, again, shit show. And then the next morning, I'm getting ready. I'm driving to work. It's about 7, 7.30 in the morning, I guess. Cool. Yes, yeah, about 7, 7.30. And my ex-husband called. I, I, I Actually, for that night, I had made plans with the idiot ex yet again to try to get together and work things out. And... um my ex calls and he's like, something's wrong with Kenny. Something's really wrong. You know, you need to get to my mother's house. I think, I think it's too late. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What, what's going on here? And he's like, just turn around and get to my mom's house. I'm trying to get out of the city. And then when I, I pulled up to my mother-in-law's house and sure enough, punched ambulances and cop cars and the lights were all off. So I knew, I knew walking in that house, you know, that that's it. He was, he was gone. And it was, his alarm, they were upstairs, I guess, trying to still revive him, but he was gone when I got there and they, the cops were still upstairs and um, his alarm kept going off like every 10 minutes, like it was being snoozed or whatever. And like, that's one of like the things I just remember, like one of the PTS things is when they're, you know, when those phone alarms go, it's just like, you know, it makes me fucking bananas. Um, and it was, uh, my kid just died. You know, I'm a fucking mess now. This is it. I mean, you, you know what? I don't know, but with him, I always had a, a weird feeling when I went to work, I worked at an insurance company at one point, a hundred years ago, when I was pregnant with my little one. And there was a woman there and they said that, you know, they said, listen, um, this woman, Eleanor, her son is a drug addict. He's a heroin addict and he's on the streets and he always, he calls every once in a while begging for money, whatever. If he calls, you do not put him through to his mother. And it was, and then like, she had a we had the little sweaters because the office was always cold and she had this little yellow sweater and she was an older woman 
And um, it was it was her her sweater from like the Cub Scouts when she was like a Cub Scout leader, you know. And it was I remember thinking like, you know, this she was a Cub Scout this boy, and and she was a Cub Scout mom, you know. How, how does this happen? I mean, I wasn't judgmental, and then all of a sudden, on my children's lives, I got a feeling just shot through me like a like a fucking spark. I knew my son Kenny wasn't going to live long. I knew he would die young. And I don't, I don't know what it was. And people are like, you're out of your fucking mind. But I, I'm telling you, it happened. And um, so sure enough, he didn't make it. And I think that's when the drinking, you know, just became, you know, really out of control. I started drinking every day and, you know, um, bad. But then my, and oh, yeah, really drinking heavy. My mom got sick now. My father had just died. My kid is dead. Shit's a mess. Um, and then my mom gets really sick. So I'm like, really, you know, I'm, I'm just a disaster. And my mom passes away now, too. So it's my father, my son, and my mom, all, you know, all alcohol or drug related. You know, my mother, my mother died of cirrhosis. My, my son died of a heroin overdose. And my mom had, my father had died of, you know, it was pancreatic cancer and whatever, a million other things. But, you know, essentially, I think alcohol, you know, played into that, you know, and cigarettes, alcohol and cigarettes. Um, so that's, I think, when my drinking got out, completely out of control once my son Kenny died. And, um, you know, and I couldn't deal with my younger son. I, I just couldn't. I was afraid I was going to kill him too. Like, I mean, of course, I thought I killed him. I, I still blame myself. You know, there's all these things. And I'm, I belong to a bereavement group where, you know, there's how many women, how many of us that are participate that have all lost children to, you know, um, substance abuse disorder. And between us all, there's a couple of hundred between us all, there is not one thing someone could think that they could have done different to save their kid that we all haven't collectively already thought. Intellectually, I know it wasn't, I couldn't save him. He had to want, you know, I didn't even know he was using, no one, we didn't even know he was shooting heroin or using heroin. In fact, he, um, he didn't know how to cook it. He had to buy, he bought, I guess what's called a hot shot, I think was what they, they called it, but a preloaded needle. Really? And then some of my friends were like, he was fucking murdered. I mean, it was just, it was really bad. It's just really bad. And then, like I said, with my, my younger son, I, I think at that point I was spending every weekend at the fucking cemetery. And I remember thinking I spend more time with my dead kid than I do with my living kid, you know, because of the, I was just not well. And like I said, I was drunk. I would go to work every day and pick up two bottles of wine. And I would, you know, of course, I don't know if you were an alcoholic or what your you know drug of choice is, but you know, you got to make the rounds in the neighborhood. You know, you don't want the guy knowing you're drinking two bottles every night. So I would stop here on Mondays. I go here on Tuesdays, you know, and I was drinking two bottles of wine a night. And I remember the one time at the wine store, the guy obviously knew my, my trick and he's like, I understand why you, you know, you don't just buy a case at once. You'd save a little money. This is ridiculous. You know, and I'm like, well, I would drink too much. Then he's like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, and I was like, who am I kidding here, you know? Um, but, you know, when you when you know when you're buying your liquor, at, your alcohol at different places, you know you have a problem. You know, I knew yeah. it. No, I knew I've it. How I knew. And so my after my mom died, I bought a house with the boyfriend, the ex, which was, you know, I was just all fucked in the head. I, I It was the wrong decision, but I just, again, Craving the love, craving, you must love me. I need someone to love me and, and feel sorry for me and take care of me. And um, then all, this man who loved to have drinks too, you know, like to go out for drinks and whatever, now starts fucking harassing me about my drinking like it's no one's business. And I get it. I was drinking too much, you know. And again, I still at this point could not grasp 
what, what the fuck does he care when I drink? But, but why does it, I kept saying, how does this affect your life? You know, it's, it's, I'm drinking at this point, I'm still mostly getting up and going to work on time and, you know, getting my work done, but it was, you know, it was starting to decline. Um, so at that point he just harassed the fuck out of me, quite frankly. And, um, so I ended up going into rehab basically because, you know, to shut him up really. And I, again, I knew I had a problem, but I also, I also knew I didn't want to quit yet. I had, you know, I, I was still, I wasn't ready. I still wanted to drink. And, um, so I did the rehab thing, whatever um, I go and it was a great, you know, great program. Unfortunately it didn't stick the first time. And I think I stayed sober for about nine months. And this is like when we had first bought the house together and like, Oh no, we were living in the other, we were renting a house first and we moved into the other house during that period of time. And he, he was just an asshole. Um, he was really, the first night I got home from rehab, my friend came over, my best friend to check on me. He didn't lie. He was like anybody, um, except his mommy. Um, he, I, I, whatever it was, he had a bottle, an empty water bottle full of vodka under the sink in the bathroom. I'm like, are you mm-hmm. fucking me? You know, I just went away to get sober for 90 days, whatever it was, 30 days. It was 90 days. I don't know where I got that. Um, and you're, you know, and you're fucking drinking the fry. I could smell it on them, I think. And, and people, I don't know why people think you can't smell vodka on people. I don't know where that started in life, but I can smell it across the fucking room, you know. Um, so, I don't know. Am I, am I, I think, am I going over time? I don't know. What, am I doing this right? You're supposed to be interviewing me. There's no interview. You're making me anxious. <laughs> no, because <laughs> you, you're telling a good story. There's no, I only ask questions when I need something uh, clarified. So, let me ask you this. What, what made you want to get better? Um, well, five years to the day after my older son died, my younger son died. Uh, also, he died of a combination of um, opiate and toxic. No, he died of uh, Xanax and heroin, combination of Xanax and heroin, exactly five years to the day after my oldest son died. And the night before, I, I was just, you know, I was very, really, really, I was finally getting my act together. I, mean, I was still drinking hard, but it wasn't, I was managing pretty much a little bit. You know, I was still holding my shit together. And the night before the, the anniversary, I was working late because um, there's a homeless kid or um, homeless student in the district whose parents never showed up to pick them up. And, you know, I, I just told my boss, yeah, I'm here. I'm working with budget. I'm like, I'm working late anyway. So yeah, they can, you know, I'll stick around until the parents show up. And we, we, our and I both did. And it was getting late. I was really tired and I didn't get home till like nine o'clock that night. And the next day is the anniversary. And that's always just a fucking shit show for me. You know, I don't do well. Um, and I call my son, my younger son, because he's staying at his dad's that night. And I'm like, you know, just calling to check in, whatever. I'm like, hey, baby. I can hear in his voice, he's all kinds of fucked up. Not just smoking a little weed, fucked up. He's fucked up. And I'm like, I call his father back. I'm like, what the fuck is going on over there? You know, what, what's happening? My son is all kinds of fucked up. He's like, I, and he's like, Rrr. I'm like, check on him. You need to check on him. He does. He calls me back. Yeah, he's a little high. You know, they're all smoking pot, whatever. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I don't understand this, but it was, I knew, I knew in my heart, it wasn't pot, you know, when he was doing those, he was doing those dabs, I'm not even sure what it is, I can't even remember, it was like some kind of oil with the pot, I don't remember, but yeah, yeah, no, you kind of light it with a blowtorch, it's a whole, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's it, he was doing those, and it was, you know, 
Um, he had a girlfriend that he was crazy about. And, you know, but that was starting to deteriorate towards the end too. you know, they were young. Almost, he got her pregnant in the summer during prom. I think he knocked her up actually. And then he called me and I was away. And it just, you know, um, and he was a cutter, the little one, he was a cutter and he was cutting and he cutting bad and he was old to be cutting, you know, he was 19. That's old. You know, that's usually a younger kid thing to my knowledge, like a young teenager, young adolescent. And, um, so the guy I was with at the time, I, you know, I told him, like, I need, I should go get him. I said, I'm fucking shot, man. I am so tired. I got to deal with tomorrow. You know, I just went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night. Like I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, you know, I woke up, he woke up too. And I'm like, you know, this is something's wrong. I I should have gotten Daniel. I I don't, he's like, just go back to sleep. It's fine. It's fine. So of course I do. And um, I wake up getting ready, having my coffee. You know, it's, I write, I go on my Facebook and I just write five years. That's it. You know, meaning my son has been gone for five years. Five minutes later, my ex calls. I see his number come up and I'm like, motherfucker, you've got to be. I'm like, uh-uh, nope, nope. He's like, um, you know, Daniel some, Daniel took something, you know, um, you need to get to the hospital. Same fucking story. But this time I had to go to the hospital, you know, instead of the house. So I get to the hospital and, you know, oh, when he, he said to me on the phone, the doctors are still working on him. I don't know what's going on. And... I knew. I mean, I knew. I knew he was lying to me because I knew I had to get there and he just didn't want me to probably die, kill myself on the way over there. And um, I get there and um, um, I go to the emergency room, you know, where he was. And I said, you know, I'm Daniel Grimm's mom. And then, oh, okay, um, you know, come with us. And they were like way too, you know what I mean? Not that nice of an emergency room. Hold on, wait, is what they usually get. But um, they brought me to his room and he was gone. I knew because the, the drape was pulled and my mother-in-law and my, my, my ex-husband were sitting in the room. And, and I mean, he had the fucking intubator thing down his throat. This is like right before Narcan was like really kicking in. Just like, with, you know, like a couple months later, it was like they're required to have it on, on ambulances and the police and everybody else. And also this was two months before where I lived, they made it a law that if you sold somebody the drugs that got them, that killed them, but they died from, it's considered manslaughter or murder. I forget. I think it was manslaughter. I don't know if it's changed since then, but, um, he was done. He was gone. It's cold, fucking ice cold. Um, and that was, that was, that was just the end of it. You know, I don't think I ever took a sober breath after that. Um, that's when I got fucked up and suicidal. Um, I'm many, again, I, I used to laugh that I'm too fucking stupid to even kill myself correctly because, you know, every time I wake up in the fucking emergency room or in the rehab, wherever they're going to put me, the psych ward, um, you know, a couple of times, more, more than one time, because what was the fucking point? What was the fucking point? My parents are dead and my children are dead. I'm all fucking alone in this world. And I blamed myself terribly. Because I didn't give them a proper upbringing. I didn't go to check on my son that night. So that was it. I was just fucking done with life. You know, and I, I mean, I, then I, oh, I, I mean, I couldn't go back to work. I, I went back to work very briefly after that. And I wasn't really functioning very well. And my, and the district I was working for did, um, they had um, a forensic psychologist evaluate me 
who would, you know, I know this from my own whatever, but, you know, who came back saying she's incapable of working at this point in time, even on a part-time basis, you know. Uh, and I know because they paid for it, that's the, that's the, the response they wanted. And I'm like, what? I didn't care. You know, I didn't fucking care. And um, so, uh, you know, they sent me paperwork. We're going to, we're letting you go based on this. And they said, you know, they, I, they had a big meeting where I was basically going to get fired. Um, I showed up at that meeting, fucking shit face drunk from the night before. I don't even think I'd slept the night before, really. And my my son's younger girlfriend, I'm still really close to her, um, had to drive me there because I was pretty much, you know, still drunk. I could barely, you know, see straight. I'm sure I looked it, you know. You know, like I said, knowing now, I, you know, what I remember and, you know. And um, they basically told me that I could I could resign with the intention of retiring to collect my pension, you know, through um, like 20 years in, 22 years in, that I would retire and take my disability pension. And sure enough, they turned me down for the disability, not once, twice, Social Security, same fucking thing. I'm out of work now at this point, broke, went through all my savings, didn't give a fuck. Um, now, I had to take in a roommate because I couldn't pay for the, I couldn't pay the rent. I mean, I literally, I went through whatever money, my, my parents didn't leave much, but I went through the inheritance, you know, just surviving, paying the bills and, you know, saying, fuck it, I'm going to Mexico for the weekend, I don't give a fuck, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't care. And then, um, so she was giving me money for the rent and this woman, a friend of mine, well, kind of a friend of mine, an acquaintance. And, you know, I can't pay the, I can't pay the bills. I have nothing coming in. This is right, right before COVID hit. And I was working a good job at a pool company and I was, you know, pretty, it's a lame little job and not that my father always told me work equals money. You know, it's nothing is beneath me, but this guy was a psychopath. He was a crazy person. I worked in education, so I'm used to working with educated people professional people and being treated as such this guy was just a fucking nutcase he i i, really, I know he was an alcoholic and i know he was an aa but i think he would be what you would call like a white knuckle maybe i don't know or dry drunk because he was one miserable sob i mean he would yell at me and he'd, you know yell and scream at me if i like fucked up a, a ticket for like you know to go fix someone's pool i'm like are you kidding you know not used to this kind of treatment and again i'm all fucked up i'm still drinking and um well that ended poorly (laughs) because i think whatever he said you know why aren't you doing like you he wanted me to follow up with the county on like a permit whatever um the town and i did and the guy was like well it's not ready and it's not gonna be ready you know and then he like texting me like yelling you know like saying well this is that's your job to do it i'm like what do you fucking want from me i said i I said what do you want from me i can't make this guy do his fucking job you know what what can i tell you he's not doing his job i'm doing mine and that was it then he thought you know then it was like well maybe you're not ready and then when he came back to the office we had a fucking screaming fight you know and i was whatever i'm like and you know what i was trying not to cry because i cry when i get angry and like i'm a crier um and I wasn't going to let this motherfucker see me break down. You know, I'm thinking I lost two fucking kids. This guy's not taking me down, you know? And then, so, and he was also um, running his business. He did half of his work um, cash, not reporting hundreds and thousands of dollars to the IRS. And he knew, I, I knew this and he knew I was, you know, pissed off and angry and he was terrified I was going to report him. I didn't because what, what the fuck do I care at that point? It's done, you know? Um, so, um that was the end of 19, I guess. So then, again, now I'm not working, still drinking, you know, whatever little money I had left was gone, alcohol, you know, and then COVID hit. 
I'm, so I'm still using this chick's money to basically buy my alcohol and cigarettes every day because that's what you do when you're about to be homeless. You know, you have $1,500. Instead of paying that towards rent, I gave a couple hundred towards the $2,000 rent I owed and basically spent the rest on cigarettes and, and wine, you know, because um, I'm really bright that way. I really know how to prioritize and budget my money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then COVID hit and, you know, my one friend was like, well, you know, why don't you try to get that this the the, the money? Everyone's getting the money. I forget what it was called, the, whatever. And I'm like, I, I worked for six months for that fucking idiot. I was mostly paid off the books. You know, I'm not, they're not going to approve me. Well, they did, and I ended up getting like eight thousand dollars, and which was good because I did catch myself up on the rent um, and a couple of bills. But my car payment was now, you know, I didn't have any credit cards at the time because I, I didn't have any money. Um, but again, once that was caught up, I got the I got the money every, you know, every week for the unemployment and the the extra money they were giving us. I don't again, I can't I'm not great with my memories really bad. Um, so then it was like the end of that summer when, you know, I, my one best friend had stopped drinking because she, you know, kind of realized she had a really big problem. You know, she was doing the same shit, two bottles of wine a night when her husband was at work. And then she would clean everything up and go to bed. And, you know, he had no fucking clue. Um, he's French though. He's, you know, he thinks he doesn't believe in alcoholism. It's fine for the French. Um, I'm kidding, but, um, not really. Uh, but so now she's not drinking and we would go out to dinner that summer. I, I lived on the beach. They would come to the beach a lot. And all I would be doing is looking at my watch through dinner, thinking this fucking dinner better be over by seven o'clock so I can get to that wine store before I go home. Cause if we weren't drinking then in solidarity for her, you know, and she would come to me and she's my best. She's like a sister to me. She, it, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for this person. She has literally saved my life. You know, I mean, more than once I'd been at the hospital every time I was in the psych ward, you know, I mean, I, I could, she's just the, the most amazing human I've ever encountered. And she would come to spend the day on the beach with me. And it's again, getting to be that time. And I'm like, motherfucker, you know, I'm like, and I'd make, make up an excuse that she had to leave. So I could get, you know, I would follow right behind her get to that wine store, you know, calling them. This is like five to eight saying, I'm on my way. Hold me, hold my bottles. You know, at that point, I'm using the same wine store every day because I didn't give a fuck anymore. Now, again, kids are dead. Panic. What do I care? Um, and it just got bad. It got really, you know, now I'm a sneak and I'm, I'm a liar and I'm, I'm, I can't, you know, I'm not paying my bills and I'm using this money for drinking and I looked like shit. I think Forget what, 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 maybe Mother's Day, whatever. I was like, well, my friends said I was gray. I had, you know, I, they thought I was dying, you know, and I, and I also think I felt like it. And I don't know. I finally was just like, I can't fucking do this anymore. You know what? I was tired. The, the classic, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was genuinely, that's how I felt. Like, I just, I can't do this. I feel like shit all the time. You know, I can't get a job because, first of all, COVID. And, you know, no one, I mean, I'm not, I'm too drunk to even interview. I'm drinking, you know, basically there's no night or day in my world because I didn't work for so long. All I did was, you know, greet, you know, cry about my kids and try to numb myself. And, um, and I did a good job of it. And then I don't know what, something just hit and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't, you know, they would not like this. This, this would not be cool with my kids, you know? Um, and my kids adored me they worshipped me we went you know like we had our issues like everybody else but I was very close to my kids my boys and so I don't know I just decided that's it I'm going you know and my one best friend set it all up got me in there you know and I was um I think December October 20th 2020 right middle middle of COVID and um 
I don't know. I wanted it. You know, I was ready this time. It wasn't like the first time for the idiot boyfriend, you know, this time I'm like, I, I, just, I don't want it anymore. I simply didn't want it. And, and I did. I motivated. I was motivated. Yeah. I worked fucking hard in, in rehab and I came out and I, you know, again, it was COVID we're all on lockdown still. Um, I went into a day treatment program, but we did it remote like this. And um, at this one little place, again, my best friend set up for me that um, kind of did everything in one shot. You know, it was, you got your psychiatrist with your medications would be there your therapy, your group therapy, and your, um, your, your individual therapist would be there. I know I'm going to shut up now. Time to go. No, no. What do you, what do you mean? That's five forty. I don't know what your schedule is. No, keep going. And I just heat up my coffee. Well, I can walk into that. I need more coffee. Um, so tell me about once you got out of rehab. Um, like I said, when I got came out of rehab, it was still the middle of COVID. And um, I think I've also been on antidepressants for many, many years since probably before, right around the time my son started doing drugs. And, you know, they got, they, you know, changed my meds around a million times through all those years. And um, then, you know, when I was drinking hardcore, you know, it, it just, it doesn't, the antidepressants no longer work, you know? So, I, you know, my one friend would tell me that I get psychotic. I would get psychotic when I was drinking because of mixing it up. And, you know, maybe I was, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but she's a little dramatic anyway. But um, when I came out, they had finally gotten my meds straight. You know, I mean, I was a month without, you know, drinking. Um, I felt better. I'm sure, I looked a little better, you know, um, because, you know, I wasn't gray and hungover all the time. And I think I remember that was the best feeling to this minute, to this day. Waking up without a hangover is like, oh my God, you know, it's just, I'm still blown away by it. By it. And like, you know, of course, like any other respectable alcoholic, I denied getting hangovers, you know? Oh no, I'm not, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I always like have my eyes on fire like this and I'm, I, you know, I didn't vomit, but you know, I felt like I wanted to. Um, so anyway, I went to this one place that was a, you know, combined treatment center. And because of, first of all, I was now I'm on Medicaid, no money, um, COVID. So they didn't, they weren't charging people in, during COVID because, um, I think, you know, so many people were in trouble with COVID, you know, the, the substance abuse really, um, the numbers really increased with people drinking. I know a couple of my son, my oldest son, Kenny's friends overdosed and died during that time, you know, more than one, um, and again, for whatever reason, I just, I, I, I didn't want to live that way anymore. And I mean, I was terrified that I wasn't going to be able to do it, you know, because even to this day, I'm a little weird because I still, I mean, I've been social, I've been drinking, you know, alcoholically, essentially my entire adult life. Um, and I don't know how to, even like, you know, when my kids were young, when we'd go out on the weekends, I would be drinking, you know, on the weekends. Um, we used to call it the pump and the pump and dump, you know, you go out for dinner, you have a couple glasses of wine, you come home, you pump all that milk out and you're good to go next day for, you know, nursing. Um, I never got the, well, again, not, not relative, but, um, I still, at the time I still like, you know, it was a weird time because there was no socializing except, you know, through, um, zoom, you couldn't see anybody. Um, which was good because it kind of gave me, kept me to myself where I, I wasn't put in a position where anybody was going to be drinking. Um, this is a bad idea. This is a good idea. 
Um, okay, sorry. Um, so again, there was like nothing to do socially anyway. So the drinking wasn't um, like in front of my face. So I wasn't being triggered. You know, my friend, none of my, my, my other friend who was, who quit drinking before I did, you know, we're the only two that drank excessively. You know, the rest of our friends were, well, one of our friends was in San Francisco, but we don't see her that often. So you know, that hard drinking doesn't affect us. But our other friend can like go to dinner and have a glass of wine and not finish it. Go figure, right? What's the point of having it? Um, so, and then after COVID, you know, was lifting up, um, I was, you know, again, I was, I took the program really serious, really, really serious. My outpatient and I, I'm a note taker and I, you know, constantly read my notes and I, I was, I got a big book and, and I'm not a big AA person, not for any other reason is, and I just don't, um, I, I, I'm not a group person. I don't like to be around people. A lot of people I get, I have really bad anxiety and I also, can't quite grasp the idea of no crosstalk. Like, what do you mean I can't talk and say what I want and interrupt you and tell you how I can fix you? You know, I struggle a lot with that because I have, you know, I'm a big mouth. I have too much to say. Um, but, um, and I had a therapist who was just, I think she was like in, finishing her internship and then she, she got hired full time there and she was wonderful. Um, she young, which I was like a little like, you know, eh, I'm not so sure about you. She's like a baby, you know, but she was, fresh out of school and, and she was wonderful. I was her first full-time patient, you know, her first real patient. I mean, she got the like fucking therapy lottery winner with me, right? I'm like a two dead kids. I'm all kinds of fucked up. I'm an alcoholic. I'm this and that. I have family, you know. Um, so the therapy really, for the first time ever, I was being honest. You know, I wasn't lying, which I always did in therapy because, you know, of course I want my therapist to like me. You know, you must like me. You can't judge me because once I, once I feel like there's a relationship there, that's it. I'm going to lie to you. Um, and, you know, and then I also began with my bereavement group about this. Well, a little month, a couple months before that, but now I was sober. And as things started opening up, you know, they knew my journey. I told them my you know, getting in recovery. And as part of the group, we, we do speaking, we do speaking engagements sometimes, you know, when we're called the beating hearts. Oh, I'm trying to see if I have any out here. And they make little, we make little beads for, after um, we hear of somebody overdosing and passing away, we, someone from the, the group would go to the, um, the, the wake and in a little envelope, um, you're going to kill me if you're getting up, I know. Yeah, when I got, when I got involved with the reasoning group, you know, they really didn't know my story. They knew my story about my children. And, you know, again, overachiever, you know, you have, they have one dead child. I got two, you know, I win. Um, but, um, so we would, we would do a lot of it. Like they would go, sometimes they would go to sober homes and speak and they were going to uh, jails and speak to the people, you know, in certain programs in the prisons. And we, they were actually going to my, the center where I had went to my rehab once. And I was like, I'm in, I'm going, you know? And, um, cause I knew how they went to work the program there. I knew what went on. And I knew I would connect with the people there because I'm one of them, you know. And apparently when I tell my story in a, in a forum, I guess, like that, I'm pretty good at it. You know, like, again, I was like, okay, you know, um, hi, I'm Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. I was like, you know, whatever. I was like, oh, wrong meeting, right? Ha, ha, ha. And I'm, you know, and again, I think, you know, a lot of the moms go up there and they just, they tell about their kid and they they cry and they sob. And I know that affects people, you know, but I also know from experience that's not going to happen to me. 
you know, no one thinks they're going to, they, no one thinks they're going to die and their mom is going to be sad. But I think my story and, and the woman who ran the group um, also found, you know, but she put me in at a certain time when she felt they were losing people. And, you know, everything I've gone through, losing my children, becoming a raging alcoholic, and now in recovery, is pretty fucking unique, you know, where I went from literally trying to kill myself, drink myself to death. And, you know, now I'm in a position where, you know, I never grieved my kids. I just drank, you know, I never felt anything. And now I'm on this huge, I must feel things, you know, I'm trying to, it's, it's overwhelming. But when I would go to the sober houses or the rehabs and, and tell my story, you know, I knew I made an impact because they were up clapping and cheering, you know, like they were giving me, you know, taking, asking for my number for when they got out because um, they could relate to me, you know, on some, not just because of the, my kids having issues, my kids being, you know, dead, um, but because, you know, I had so much adversity and I got through it. You know, I went, I got in, I got recovered, you know, so that's been, I think my favorite thing to do since then, you know, was speaking up and now I'm here in Florida and I'm trying to like find, and that's how I ended up finding you guys just because I need to have, I need to have contact with, you know, where I, where I think I can tell my story, where I'm a voice, be her, be their voice really. And um, yeah, that's it. Wrap it up. (laughs) So, um, did you have anything else you want to add in? Um, I just would like to mention that um, tomorrow is, I think it's international or national, but it's um, Overdose Awareness Day. It's a day to, you know, remembrance um, of those we've lost to the um, epidemic, the heroin, the opioid, and the substance um, deaths. Um, And it's a day to, you know, the main goal is we're trying to erase the stigma um, that, you know, they're not my kid. It's, you know, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's opioids and heroin are, are, are affecting an entirely new generation now. You know, it's, it's middle-class white kids, you know, in, in, from nice neighborhoods. And it, and again, I know I've been judged, you know, it's funny because I know if I ever, t- I don't tell my story a lot because I don't want people to know that I work with, you know, especially down here now, I don't, not that I'm, I don't, not that I'm ashamed of it, but I just don't want it to be who I am. It defined me for a very, you know, defined me for over, over 12 years. And I can't let that be who I am anymore. I'm, I'm still a human. I'm still a woman. I'm still, you know, a professional. I'm getting back to, you know, I got a job down here that I absolutely love. It's in the university in Miami, you know, it's back to my roots in education, um, and I want to be that now again, you know, and I wasn't myself for so long. And I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be able to be fighting back as I am if I didn't find recovery. You know, I would just, I would have, I would have died. I would have ended up dead sooner than later. But again, again, I've, I'm all over the place, but you know, tomorrow again, is overdose awareness day and, you know, our color is purple. Um, and if, you know, you could put it up on your, um, on your Facebooks or your Instagrams, whatever your social media is, and just to you know bring awareness to it. Um, and if, you know, you know, anybody that's gone through it, maybe, you know, give a little prayer or think about, you know, them and their families. Cause you know, they're, we're all somebody, everyone's someone's child. And, um, you know, I need to speak for them, but they can't. No, they can't, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think that's a, Great place to wrap up. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Did you have a good time? I did. Got to tell your story? It feels good. It feels good to get it out sometimes. 
It does. And, you know, interestingly, when I first started speaking at like the, when I first went to the rehab to speak and tell the story, tell my story, I was a disaster afterwards. I mean, it really affected me. It, it triggered me into a dark place for a couple of days a week. And again, my friends, well, you can't do this anymore. You know, at what cost? This is your own mental health. You're, you're giving up to this. And, and I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm stronger than I realize. And if I hear one more person tell me you're the strongest person I ever met, well, fuck you. I, I don't have a choice. You know, do I? You know, I, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be strong. I, you know, I was just with the hand I was dealt. But, you know, the more I've done so telling my story, it's starting to help me heal now. It doesn't trigger me like it used to. Um, I'm starting to come to terms, acceptance, almost that my kids are gone. And I think, you know, talking about it helps. And it's going to raise awareness that this is fucking for real. Yeah. Um, again, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. All right. Well, sit tight for me. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out at Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you uh, find plenty of free literature and all different types of resources. So I hope you enjoyed today. And until next time.